behavior is a super tough thing to change as businesses grow, right? Because when you're small, you're scrappy, you fight for every dollar, you get big and you make some money, people start spending money like crazy, right? Everyone's got platinum Amex cards and they're, you know, there's just, <laughs> behavior is really tough to change. And so I'm, I'm looking at like, okay, I'm coming in as an outsider. What are the things I'm changing? It was just clear. It was super clear. And, and when it's that clear that there are some people changes that need to be made, regardless of if they're your buddies or not, like we're not running a nonprofit. Like we're not running a, you know, church mission. Like this is a business and I have stakeholders that I'm going to make a return for. I'm going to make a return for myself. I'm going to treat the clients the way they should be treated. And if there are people that are in the way of that, as much as you love them, you just got to make those tough changes. Today on The Climb, Michael and I had the pleasure of sitting down with Keaton Turner. Keaton is the founder and CEO of Turner Mining and is is out there to make mining sexy again. We had an awesome conversation with Keaton. He has an absolutely infectious personality, an unbelievable passion, not just for life, but for his business. He's gracious, humble, and I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. You're going to hear it throughout the, uh, the podcast, but... Keaton is definitely on fire. Thanks for joining us today. Keaton, welcome to The Climb. We appreciate you joining Michael and I today. Absolutely, guys. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to it. As we reached out to you, we actually reached out to Tracy and she connected with us. Tracy's what? She's your head of marketing, correct? Yep. Yep. She's our chief marketing officer and she's phenomenal. She's been great. And, you know, the reason the impetus behind us reaching out was, you know, we've seen amazing social media presence from you guys on LinkedIn, Instagram, and a few others and said, man, we got to talk to this guy. He's doing some really cool things. So looking forward to, we want to dive into that a little bit more, but maybe first let's start with, you know, who is, who is Keaton Turner and maybe bring us back a little bit and bring us up to when Turner Mining started, and then we can kind of go down that path. Yeah, absolutely. So you you you, you ask who is Keaton Turner? I tell everyone I'm a normal guy. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm just like you guys. You know, I love football. I love uh, drinking beers with buddies and and hunting and fishing and all that. I, I happen to be a guy that you know. When I was 27, I realized how short life is. I just woke up one day, getting close to my 27th birthday. And I'm like, man, you know, the stats show my life's a third of the way over. So I took the leap and, and I was with a family company at the time and we can get okay. into that later. But, you know, I took the leap of faith to start a company and start a business. I had a couple small young kids, but, you know, I talk to people all the time about life is short and I, I just don't, I just had a conversation with a kid the other day. I just don't think people really grasp you know, how short it is and how much you're going to regret not doing crazy things. So I do crazy things. I was in a hot air balloon the other day. That was like an <laughs> awesome, you know, I took my wife out for her 31st birthday. And I just, I love living life up. You know, I know this has been a weird year with COVID and everyone's, you know, emotionally razzled. I get that, especially the stay at home moms. But man, I just like enjoying life. I, I like living it up. That's awesome. Well, 
I've never been in a hot air balloon, but you're talking to the right guys when you talk about hunting and fishing and drinking beer and college football. So, you you know, this will be a good conversation. Checking awesome. all the boxes, Keaton. Checking all the boxes. Awesome. We did a hog hunt last week with some clients, uh, night vision, machine guns. It was like, these are the right kind of clients if you can take them shooting hogs in Texas. So. Well, I'm sure we can we we can talk after this. We can get that all set up with Michael down outside of Fort Worth. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. No, just keep coming back and eradicating this problem that we have down here because I mean the hogs are not going away. <laughs> we made a we made a small dent in it last weekend. Thank you. Well, and so Keaton, did you you're Indiana, born and raised? Born and raised, Bloomington, Indiana. Yep. Okay. So you Hoosier then? No, you went to Indiana State, I saw, right? You know, yeah. You know, it's funny. Everyone that grows up in Bloomington, most of the people either go to IU or they're the or they're they're like the weird theater kids that move off to LA and do the whole <laughs> Los, Los you know, Los Angeles thing. So I I was one that was kinda in between. I wanted to get a little bit further away from home. Uh, my dad played basketball at Indiana State with Larry Bird way back in wow. the day. Wow. Yeah, and 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 IU, fortunately or unfortunately, they didn't have any construction programs back then, and so okay. Indiana State did. I went to Indiana State; it was an awesome time. Had a blast there. What drew you to the construction space? I, like I said, I'm one of those guys. I'm a I'm a guy's guy. Like I love being outside. I'm not that smart of a guy. I'm not a numbers guy. I I just kind of wing it. I'm not super organized. I think of something and I want to go do it and I want to see some results. And so I, I really wanted to be in commercial construction. You know, I wanted to build buildings. Uh, I thought real estate was cool. I worked for a, a real estate mogul, so to speak, in, in high school, a big developer. And I thought that was really cool. And then I, you know, I got to, I got to college and went through a bunch of estimating classes on how to cost projects and how to manage projects. I did some business stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it was just kind of off to the races. I, I'm a, I, I think I'm a natural DNA entrepreneur type guy. I have a real hard time working for other people. My mind just doesn't really work that way. So uh, <laughs> it was just kind of off to the races after, after college, getting out in the real world. Hey, Keaton, real quick, as, as we think about kind of the, the, pillars and cornerstones of this podcast with crossroads and defining moments. You know, you mentioned that age of 27 is, I think a lot of people probably that light bulb goes off, whether it's because you're having kids or, you know, college was a long time ago. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big music history follower and, you know, it was, it was Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin and Morrison that all died at 28. So, I mean, I, I just, I can't let you off the hook. Like, what was it about 27 that just said, I got to kick this into high gear? Yeah, I don't know. It, it, people have asked me that and it's weird. I was living the dream from 22 to 27. I was working for my family's company, my uncle's company. I was making a great salary. I was, I was kind of like the number two guy or number three guy. Uh, you know, basically they gave me free range. I could do whatever I wanted. I was managing my own projects, stuff that was probably way outside the realm of what a 24, 26-year-old should manage. Uh, so I was living the dream, really. Um, but I don't know. Something just as I, as I got, it seemed like every year, whether it was like New Year's Eve or my birthday, 
I started to get kind of depressed and, and it was, it was a weird feeling. I've never really talked about this, but it was like, man, my time is running out. And, and I was like, well, what am, what is my time running out for? And I kind of bowled it down. I'm like, I just feel like I could do more. I feel like I could impact more people. I feel like I could, you know, wake up and just feel excited instead of those. I, I talk about Sunday scaries sometimes where it's Sunday night, Sunday night football's over. You got to wake up and go to work on Monday. And it's like, man, I don't love the feeling of Sunday night. Now, what I'm doing now, I can't wait for Monday morning. Like I'm, I'm in here on Saturday sometimes and there's people humming around. So I don't know. I think I just, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer. And, and I realize there's a, there's a, there's a verse and I can't quote it because I, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not that organized, but it's your life. <laughs> your life is a vapor. And I, every year I got a little bit older, I'm like, man, my life is a vapor and it's a third of the way over. I got to go do something. So I don't know. I took the lead and I tell guys here in the office, I don't think they believe me, but I tell them all the time. If what we're doing fails today or tomorrow, we've had a lot of early success, but if it all fails tomorrow, I'm going to do the same thing again. And I can fail three or four times, five times being a young guy in business and to me, that's just okay. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm, I'm weird, but that's just the way my brain works. I think what I love about you saying is love and wake up on Monday and go to work. And, and we talk a lot about, you know, when you got work and play and how do you, how do you make that feel like that's happening every day? And there is no work and play, right? Like, and it sounds like you got that, which is go, going for you, which is awesome. How do you continue to drive that forward when some challenges come at you and things like that? Like, how do you keep that mindset when, you know, the stress is the inevitable of business or, or life come at you? Uh, it's a great question. We, you know, early in, we've been in business almost four years now and we've been sued probably more than four times. I, I, I quit counting after the second one. <laughs> um, but, you know, just recently I've had to, I've had to let go of some of my best buddies that worked for us that were early guys in the business that, had a ton of loyalty. I had to let go of some people who didn't quite fit our company, but were amazing human beings. They were just awesome people. We just lost two massive contracts that would have really transformed our company. And we lost them on a technicality that, I mean, would just, if a normal person knew the circumstances, it would be super depressing. So I say all that to say there are a lot of dark days in business, especially as a young guy, as a founder, you know, trying to start a business in a big, scary industry like mining, there's a lot of bad days. There's more bad days than good days. But I think, you know, for me, because I'll have those bad days and I'll get home and sometimes I'll sit in my truck and say, these are the things I'm thankful for. I know life is short, so it, it works to make these massive swings and strike out sometimes. I also, while I know how short life is, I'm I'm kind of fighting for an eternal goal, right? Like I, I'm trying to impact people in a positive way. I know I can't take the money with me, the watches and the cars and the equipment and all the, all the stuff that the world says is awesome stuff to have. It's awesome stuff to have, but it just, it doesn't mean anything at the end of the day. So I, I try to think about the big picture, even when days suck and you kicked in the balls, like, I'm super blessed to be a guy that gets to go try to do something like this in America. If I were, if I were in Saudi Arabia, I probably don't get to do this, right? Or some of these other countries, this, you know, we have tons of opportunities. So I try to, I try to look at the positive, even when 
man, it's hard sometimes. Keaton, one of the things you mentioned that I want to circle back on is, is, you know, when you started this company, you brought on a lot of your key buddies from growing up, which, you know, it doesn't get any better than getting to work with your buddies. But then you also mentioned that you've had to let these buddies go, which I can't imagine anything tougher. I mean, talk about a crossroad and defining moment in your business. Just give us some insight into that and how you went about it. Yeah, it's the guys, the, these guys, they're just like you and I. These are the best dudes. These are guys that have worked for me in the past. I mean, I built my company around these guys. These are guys that, you know, some of them were like, like one of them was employee seven and employee like 20. Uh, and so they were really early guys on a list of 800 plus employees, whatever the number is, you know, really early guys that were loyal. I mean, would have taken a bullet from me. After I fired them, I don't know if they'd take a bullet for me today, but they would have. And I just think that sometimes, I mean, we've had massive growth and that's a good thing and a bad thing. It's a blessing and a curse. Sometimes founders, as they go through these growth curves and, and they realize their company has to transform to get to the next level, you just outrun certain people. Uh, you outrun their capabilities. I think one of the massive mistakes that I made was I gave those guys a ton of, I gave them a ton of responsibility and authority and I gave them a title when we were a small business. Uh, and it worked really well. They were awesome operators of a small business climate. When we got to a big business and we had a team of executives and we have real structure in our organization, those titles didn't mean as much and their responsibilities were shrunk down. Um, you get sued so many times you realize you need to have some real rules and processes and regulations in place. Those were guys that just didn't fit that mold, right? They were people in the office call us cowboys. Like, you know, it's, it's okay for the founder to be a cowboy a little bit and just kind of say things and do things like Elon Musk. But you got to have people around you that stop you from making monumental mistakes. And I make tons of them. You can't have a bunch of cowboys. You know, you've got to have really thoughtful people, really smart people. Again, I'm not that smart of a guy. And so I, it just led up to uh, uh, us trying to get to the next levels of business and as an organization. And those guys, while they're awesome guys, it, it's, it's really hard for everyone to fit into that next, that next ring up as a business. So I think there's a lot of founders and business owners that go through that through growth. Well, there's also a lot of people that wouldn't take the chance or the dive of, of hiring their friends to build a business too. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of damned if you do damned if you don't. Right. But as you guys were experiencing this, you know, monumental growth, and you've got these these lawsuits coming in. Like, how how did you go about, or or someone helping you on your leadership team identifying the issues and who they were, and then the realization, oh shit, these are some of my best buddies. And then, okay, hey, you know, Jimmy, we got to sit down and talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's a great question because if I didn't have the people around me now. I would have kept all those guys and we would have been the same business that we were two years ago, you know, because I'm thinking, well, these guys are loyal. They're legit. They know how to do the work. They're awesome guys. Why would we need to ever get rid of them? 
the, to answer your question, I've put so many smart people around me that are way, I mean, this business runs, if I leave tomorrow, this business probably runs better, truthfully. Uh, and I don't say that in like a humble brag kind of way. You know, our chief operating officer has got an MBA from Harvard. Our acting CFO, my business partner, you know, went to, went to Yale. Another one went to Stanford. Like these people are just ridiculous on a different level, right? I got a guy that does analytics and stuff for us. He walks in here and starts rattling off numbers. And I just say, <laughs> man, just go do it. Cause I don't know what you're talking about. So, you know, you get enough really smart. Now they got to be good human beings, right? Cause there's a ton of smart people that are jerks, but you get really smart people who know things that you don't and are experts in things that you're not experts in. They start to call out your dark corners of your company. They start to tell you areas where there's waste or where there's efficiency problems or, you know, where there's financial issues, which we had a ton of. I mean, I, I'm just a huge fan of putting people that are way better than me in all these management roles and they just elevate you. You know, it's, it's wild. But if you put people in that, you know, if you're the smartest guy as the owner of the company and everyone else is kind of below you, the company lives and dies on that guy. This, my company would die if I'm the smartest guy. It just would. I can, I can run an awesome small business of 50 people or 80 people. I cannot run a big corporation without a ton of people way smarter than me. So that's, I've recognized my own weaknesses and I've tried to, you know, cover them up with smart people. So, so then when you are going to sit down and have that conversation with one of your friends, like this isn't working out, is do you have some of these other people in the room with you? Like walk us through how that process took place. You know, I, I didn't, there was such a, there was such an emotional thing there. Cause I love these guys so much. It had been made aware to them where the company was going. And I think they had sensed for a while that their role and, and how they fit their role. It just, it wasn't quite jiving anymore. And so there was kind of an unspoken thing, right? Everyone, there was an elephant in the company. So I just took these guys aside, sat down, and I'm like, man, I love you. It's just not working. And it's, it's really not even a you thing. Like, I'll refer to you. I'll get you a job tomorrow with any company. I paid them well to go do the next thing. Like, I, I want to be, I want to do it as, as the most professional way I can. And some of these guys here in the office are saying, man, you did that for them. I, I you know. It's, to me, it's just a love thing. Like I love these guys and I try, I, they're probably not over it, right? It sucks. It stings. It's, it's not fun. There are days I still wonder, like, did I make the right decision? You know, I kind of regret it. I think we could have coached them out of it, but you know, it's just, I, I was just on, I'm a big fan of brutal honesty and I'm a big fan of, like I said, the big picture and they both, one of them, not both, but one of them has said it was the best thing we ever did for him. So, you know, whether he's saying that to make us feel better, him feel better, whether it's the truth, I don't know. But, you know, it's, it's not fun any way you slice it up. Were they surprised or did they know it was coming? They, I think they were surprised on the surface, but I think in their heart, man, they'd known it. I, I don't think they'd ever tell me that or anyone else because they were so loyal and they thought, you know, this company will take care of them forever. But I, I just, I, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. 
when you said too, hey, we could, you know, when you're thinking back, we could have, maybe you could have coached him out of it. I think that's an interesting comment because I think that happens a lot. And it says, well, we can keep working with this. We can keep working with. At what point did you go, okay, I got to draw the line. We can't be coached anymore. I mean, because I think that can go on. And then all of a sudden you got people below them that are going, this person's not working for me as you know my leader. And then maybe you get exodus there and that be, then it becomes an even bigger problem. So like, how did you decide when to act? Yeah, so there's a, when things aren't going right in your company, as the guy, as the one that kind of orchestrated the whole thing, you look at what's not going right. And, and, and sometimes, you know, I'll go home and I'll get in the shower, the hot tub or whatever. And I'll just think, okay, if I'm, there's, there's a show, uh, Restaurant Impossible, where this restaurant consultant comes in to failing restaurants and tells them all the things they need to do to fix it. Most of the time, the owners know all the things they need to do. They just waited for someone else to tell them to do all those things, right? They, it was a person, it was a process, it was a, a, you know, a operating line of credit, whatever. They knew what to do. They just didn't do it for whatever reason. They waited way too long. And so I looked at our business. I'm like, man, if I'm a guy that this company hires to come in, 100% objective is to make this thing work. Names don't matter. People don't matter. Relationships don't matter. What are the changes I'm going to make? And when I looked at it from that lens, man, it was clear. You know, I, I love these guys. And there's several things. It's not just these two guys. There are, there are processes there are behavior, like behavior is a super tough thing to change as businesses grow, right? Because when you're small, you're scrappy, you fight for every dollar, you get big and you make some money, people start spending money like crazy, right? Everyone's got platinum Amex cards and they're, you know, there's just <laughs> behavior is really tough to change. And so I'm, I'm looking at like, okay, I'm coming in as an outsider. What are the things I'm changing? It was just clear. It was super clear. And, and when it's that clear that there are some people changes that need to be made, regardless of if they're your buddies or not, like, you know, we're not running a nonprofit. Like we're not running a, you know, church mission. Like this is a business and I have stakeholders that I'm going to make a return for. I'm going to make a return for myself. I'm going to treat the clients the way they should be treated. And if there are people that are in the way of that, as much as you love them, you just got to make those tough changes, you know? Keaton, you mentioned, I mean, it, it, first of all, it's just incredible that all of this has occurred in such a short amount of time. I mean, this feels like much more of a story of somebody we'd be talking to 50 years into their business. With the lawsuits, and, and Bob and I see this a lot in our work, you know, that that is the test of the fabric of of your culture, of your mission of the people, of how you go about doing your work. And that can that can either be proven or wrecked as the result of the lawsuit. Probably these lawsuits aren't done yet as it, um, it is, is quick as they've come. But can you talk about that and how you guys have worked through them? Yeah, I mean, for me, you know, I, there was, I was meeting with a guy, CEO of a, a massive company. And, and you would think this company has been sued a zillion times, right? Because they're, I mean, they're a billion plus dollar company, 10,000 employees. They've never been sued. And so I asked the guy, how have you never been sued with 10,000 employees? Like I would think you'd have a hundred lawsuits pending. He takes the approach of if I'm doing something to someone that 
they have a reason to go after my company or after my money or whatever the case may be. He's a 51-49 guy. So he wants to give a little bit more than he gets every time. And he's happy to do that because he's got an eternal perspective, right? He's thinking, okay, God has entrusted this business to me and this money and these, these employees. I'm going to go above and beyond and make it make everyone's lives a little bit easier. So you, know, you got a vendor who doesn't deliver. Yeah, you could sue them, right? And you could go get the money or what, you know, whatever the thing is you're chasing. But instead, this owner, and he's, this guy's worth a lot of money, he drives and meets with the vendor and he sits down and he talks through it like a normal human being. He's, it, it's kind of like divorce, right? It's like, well, it's not even an option. It's not even a thought. We're going to sit down and work this out and you're going to hate it and I'm going to hate it. And maybe we hate each other, but there's a bigger picture here. And so, I don't know. I, we, we try to take that now. We've learned a ton of lessons, especially as it regards to rules. Like I said, some of these lawsuits, I'm a cowboy, right? And I just do crazy things and I'm not a big fan of rules. I don't want people telling me what I can and can't do. I don't want the government telling me what I can and can't do. I just, that's my DNA. But you go through that enough, you, you know, you get people that are like, hey, this is, we're going to do this the right way. And you start to mature, you know, as a 27, 28 year old kid with early success, you're even more rebellious. You care <laughs> even less about the rule. You're just like, right. yeah, sue me, whatever, you know. So you start to mature. But I mean, it, for me, I just try to look at the big picture. And, and when, when we have conflict, whether it's a lawsuit or a disgruntled employee or whatever, I, I want to I be the 51%. I want to go a little bit further. I want to give up the more money or the, whatever the thing is. And, and, you know, I just want to be the bigger person. So it doesn't always work out that way, but that's kind of what's going through my mind. One of the things I wanted to talk about was, and you mentioned a couple of times, being a young guy, being in business. So what are some of the challenges there from a leadership standpoint? And then also, and maybe after that is the second question is, seems like you have a lot of a younger group surrounding you too at least from what we're, what we're seeing and reading. Can you talk a little bit about that too? Yeah. So I think the, a young guy being in business, I would say that the toughest challenge that I've had is the same, the same challenge a new a first time parent has, right? You get, you have a baby, you have no clue what you're doing. You, there, you know, you can read all the books, you can meet with all the advisors and the counselors. You can go through the classes at the hospital until you're holding that baby. None of it makes any sense. Right. So I thought I was super ready for business at 27. I was like, man, I'm going to go build the best thing ever. And then you get there and you're like, I have no clue what I'm doing. Right. And, and I'm a big believer in like, you learn through all the lessons, you learn through all the mistakes. I've got three kids. The third kid, we have parented a whole lot differently than the first kid. And so, you know, for me as a business owner, the, I think the thing that I would go back and tell my 27 year old self don't beat yourself up over all the mistakes. You know, we've, we've had several, and I can't tell you how many million dollar mistakes where you look back and you're like, man, I, you know, I could have that kind of money sitting in the bank. And it's, you have to worry about adjusting to those failures and learning from them and moving forward than dwelling on, you know, or, or being even afraid to change. There's so many business owners that are just afraid to make change we make change really quickly. You know, when we see a, when we see a thing not going right, forget everything else, we're changing right now. We're, we're going to pivot. 
we're going to change the process, we're going to change the approach, whatever the thing may be. Uh, so that's, to me, that's the challenge of a young business owner. You don't know anything. You learn every year. You make mistakes. You repeat. And then someday, 40, 50 years from now, we'll think maybe we've got it figured out. So that's the first thing. The second thing is with all these young people, I, I truly believe that passion and what you do is, is the most important quality. You guys probably know a lot of really smart people or a lot of really talented people that just don't have passion and they don't go anywhere. I'd rather have the passionate 26 year old guy who is learning and we're paying for some of his mistakes while he learns. I'd rather have that guy that works 80 hours a week to try to figure out and master his craft than the 50 year old guy who's learned it all but has no passion. You know, because again, for me, it's not, this is not about money. Like if I was trying to, you know, maximize profit, sure, maybe you have a bunch of non-passionate people and everything's mundane. That doesn't excite me. You know, what excites me is seeing people develop and uh, it, I, it excites me for me to develop. Now we do have a lot of older people. I'm not gonna say, you know, older people throw them away, but our older people are on fire. Like Paul, and I don't even know how Paul is, he's our chief commercial officer, I think he's 60 maybe. The dude runs around here faster than the young guys, you know? <laughs> JJ, one of our sales guys, one of our op ops and sales guys, he's, he's probably, you know, 55 or 60, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm off, but he's got the gray beard, not much hair, best dude on the planet, super passionate, you know? So for me, it's not even an age thing. I don't discriminate with age, I discriminate whether you're passionate or not. That's just how I think about it. Keaton, you can't judge age by the uh, gray beard and the losing hair. I mean, I'm only 43. Like, <laughs> where well, am I going me, from here? <laughs> there's plenty of gray coming in. And, and honestly, I, I, have told, I have told several people, I am going to get a Just for Men gray kit because I've lost contracts because I don't have enough gray hair. There you that's go. a true story. That's the truth. That's the other tough part about being a young business guy. No, that's what that's what I was going to ask. I mean, you're you're sitting down in the room, and especially in like the industry you're in, right? Like it's a very much an older industry, and here here comes Keaton, this young guy, right, walking in. I mean, I can only imagine some of the meetings you've had with that. Yeah, yeah, we um, not. It's not so much more these days because we've built an awesome brand and, and we've done a lot of work. We've done a lot of really good things. And so I try to stay out of the spotlight as much as I can. You know, if you follow any of our content, some of the podcasts and stuff you see me in, and, but I, I'm not the, I'm not the focus. I'm not the mascot. But two years ago, we had a massive contract. It would have been our biggest at the time. And I, we were the best proposal. We were, we were the cheapest. We were the best service. Everything, everything was perfect. The board said no because they knew how young I was and they saw a picture of me and they were like, this guy looks like he's 18 years old. You know, we can't trust, we can't trust him and his company with this massive opportunity. Fast forward, we won that same opportunity. They gave it to someone else two years ago. They kicked those people out. Our company won it this year, just a few months ago. So I think you just got to persevere. I, I, I trust me, I'm getting plenty of gray. It will come. Uh, <laughs> and I'm, I'm plenty. I, I think I'm too young to have all this gray hair already. But, you know, that's, it's definitely a challenge getting people to say yes to a young person. It's just a challenge. A question I had around that was you, you talked about there are some 
some older, more seasoned people in your organization, but their energy level is 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 high or higher than than the rest of the workforce. Is it a is it a two way street feed, meaning the younger people are feeding off them and they're feeding off the younger people, or do you really just think they're getting that energy because they're so passionate about what they do? Or just talk us through that. It's to me, it's a DNA thing. Yeah. Those people have a DNA to be passionate. We just, we, uh, I wouldn't say just a few months back, we had some some folks on staff here in the office who were the most talented young guys in their 20s and 30s, the most talented. Like if if you saw their resume, you would think these guys are a no-brainer for this company. Uh, they looked the part, they had the experience, they had the education. I mean, the, everything, they had everything. They did not have the passion and they're no longer here. And so for me, it's just a DNA thing. I mean, I think that, you know, I wasn't taught how to be passionate. It's you know, I just, it's the way I am. Some of our people here in the office, and I, I don't think you need every single role to be someone who's passionate, right? Like if you have uh, an analyst, for example, maybe they're not passionate about mining, but they're passionate about numbers. You know, you got an IT guy, the IT guy, he could care less about our equipment. He doesn't care about the fancy pictures or Instagram or any of that. He cares about, I'm going to go problem solve computer stuff today. Uh, so I, you know, I don't want it to seem like every single role, every single person has to just be on fire. I think that's unrealistic, but I think there are some critical roles where passion is the number one ingredient. And I think that it's just a DNA thing. How do you continuously keep that going as you guys continue to grow? Uh, I think getting people to buy into the vision of, of where we can go. I, I've, I've, I've said this several times over the last six months or, or year, I think what we're doing, we've got a big enough opportunity that someday, hopefully soon, hopefully later rather than sooner, but someday this thing gets bigger than what I can manage. I don't think I'm equipped to be a, a, the CEO of a huge company, right? I, I think my talents top out somewhere. And so by saying that, what I'm really saying is we have a humongous opportunity as a company. If people can see that, you know, the number, the number 12 guy at Facebook is doing okay. You know, the number 20 guy at, at you know, at Twitter or Instagram, like any of these companies, right? Uh, Salesforce, for example, the 50th guy in line at Salesforce probably doesn't have to worry about too much. And so, I, you know, I want people to realize we are three and a half years in business. You know, we, we are, we are doing things we should not be allowed to do. We have a, we have a hundred plus million dollar proposal going out of our office at the end of the day today. That shouldn't even be a thing. I want people to buy into where this thing could go. And, and you know, that, to me, that's motivation enough. If, if you're, if you want to do something in life that is a rocket ship ride, like this is a great opportunity to do that. And, you know, if, if that's not what you want, that's okay too. Maybe you do your three or four years here, get some really cool experience and go somewhere else. Um, you know, that's a little less fast paced or crazy or whatever, but that's, that's what I want. And that's what our core group of people here have signed up for. They, they want the rocket ship ride. Keaton, you know, we, Bob and I talked to a lot of, of business leaders and entrepreneurs. I mean, at, at 27 to already understand that, your vision, what you're creating now could get bigger than what 
maybe your skill set or just what you want to do is insane insight. So, I mean, if I'm sitting there as part of your team, I'm thinking, you know, I believe in this guy because he has the ability to look inward and say, you know, here are my strengths and I'm bringing those to the table, but there might be a certain time when somebody else needs to help me. That's, that is awesome. Well, I can tell you, you know, it, it comes, it doesn't even come from a place of humility. It comes from a place of practicality. You know, Twitter forced their CEO out, the founder, you know, he, he wasn't the right fit at, at, at a certain stage. He wasn't the right fit. And I just know that my abilities and my education and my experience only take us so far. And so if, if I'm the, if I'm the limiting factor on the opportunity this company has, that's a big problem right? Like I will gladly step aside and watch someone else do what I'm not able to do. A buddy of mine, the guy, the guy I was just telling you about, the 10,000 employees. I compare myself to that guy and his abilities. It's, it's night and day, you know? And I wish, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years from now, the story's different and I can, I can feel confident that I can go do 10,000 employees well I can't, I can't sit here and lie about that today. So, you know, I, I want the brand and the logo to go where it can go first. Me personally, I'm, you know, I'll be all right. I, you know, I can sell baseball cards or whatever. (laughs) Um, but I, I just, I, I want to be super practical and that goes back to the getting rid of your best buddies. You know, you just, if you want to go where the company can go and I, you guys know a ton of small business owners that could take their thing and turn it into something unreal, right? Problem is they're the, they're the limiting factor and they don't want it to go above them. They want the control. They want the ego thing. They want to be the guy. You know, I, I love that too. Don't get me wrong. I got an ego and I'd love to be the guy. But if everyone around you is looking at you like, man, you're not the guy. Get out of the way. You got to get out of the way. Well, you're right. I mean, a lot of the, to their credit, right? It's their company, but a lot of the, the small business owners becomes a lifestyle business. Right. And it supports their lifestyle and that's good enough. Not, not really wanting to take that next step or that next risk of where they could take it. If, if they did the inward looking that you do, you know, Keaton, you're running a massive mining company. I mean, some people, some people say the insurance industry is the second oldest profession, but maybe mining's the third, like it's been around forever, but you're bringing this this social media, YouTube channel, podcast pump, like, can we just kind of go down that rabbit hole of you're changing an industry that's thousands of years old? Yeah. And, and honestly, guys, to me, it's not even the technology, right? Like people see what we're doing on Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or YouTube. And they're like, wow, they're using all this technology in such a cool way. All we're really doing, this, the real secret behind it is we're just exposing the people that have been doing this work for thousands of years, right? Like if people, if people in the 80s had TV shows about miners, it would have been awesome content, right? And, and I think one of the reasons why we've had early success is we're just peeling the curtain back and we're showing everyone this is what happens in mining. You get kicked in the balls. You have massive wins and massive losses. You know, you've got Betty and Bobby and they're fighting and things are bad and then they love each other. Like we're just telling the stories and, and, and it's, you know, it's almost like our own TV show and people resonate with it because we're real. 
you know, we, we have overhyped ourselves and we have sugarcoated things in the past. I hate it. I want to be real, good or bad. That's why the keeping up with Kardashians went for 20 years, right? Like you're getting a real look at what their crazy family goes through. I want the same thing for mining. You know, people are so scared to show their haul truck flipped over. Uh, we had one catch on fire and burn to the ground. That's real stuff, man. That happens. The biggest mining companies in the world have fatalities, haul truck burn on fire. They have people doing idiotic things. We're no different. We're just, we're just showing it. Now that, I mean, that's, that's just phenomenal perspective because whether it's, it's the mining industry or the energy industry, I mean, you mentioned, uh, Salesforce, you know, it just replaced Exxon on the Dow Jones, right? Like that's a absolute old economy versus new economy example right there. And then you've got like this investor sentiment around, you know, ESG and your approach to all that is like, we're just going to showcase all of it. Like I, how did you, how'd you say, you know, the kimonos open, walk in, check it out. Yeah. Well, I'm a, uh, I'm a consumer of content. So I, I love, like I, I tell people, I'm not a mining guy. I'm not even really a business guy. I, what I do well is marketing and I, I love attention. Uh, and I don't even want to be the center of attention, but I love to think about like, where is attention going and where are people spending their time? They're not looking at, you know, Pitt and Corey magazines anymore. And I love Pitt and Corey, but kids are on Instagram, right? Like you guys, you guys are doing a podcast, you know, guys your age five years ago weren't doing podcasts, you know? And so I, I don't know. I just, I want, I want people to see mining where they consume content if we were just doing this, you know, on certain mining channels or just focused on mining people, we, we would be missing 95% of the people that consume our stuff. And so, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of real marketing. I'm a big fan of getting people's attention. And, you, and we kind of have a little bit of a, a cheat or a hack to it because the equipment is so big and so cool. Everyone just loves it, right? Like if we were in insurance... I'm trying to think how I could make insurance sexy, you know, like there's people to do it. What we say is we want to make mining sexy again. And so that's what, you know, we're focused on that. And our, and some of our clients love it. Some of our clients hate it, right? They want to stay a secret. <laughs> they have enough environmentalists after them that, you know, they don't want their stuff exposed. Uh, but you know, I, we have a ton of fun, lighting up what I think is one of the coolest industries on the planet, one of the oldest industries on the planet. Like it's, it should get a ton of recognition and people should know all the environmentalists that are driving their Priuses around or their Teslas that are against mining. That car, every single material in it besides the leather on the seats was came from a mine, you know? And, and so it's just, you know, I think there's a ton of education we can do someday just to the general public, but you got to get their attention first. And that's what we're super focused on is we need to get everyone's attention. Uh, and we're doing pretty good at it. I think there's a ton more we can do and we're making some big changes currently with how we do it. So yeah, a lot of, a lot of fun stuff coming up. Yeah. I, I just think about like what you said about getting attention. I mean, that's how we were trying to draw into you, right? I mean, would we have come across you guys without that? Probably not. Maybe. But I got to imagine, too, it's probably drawn for you guys from an employee standpoint, a lot of diverse backgrounds, too, that makes a company different. Is that is that accurate at all? Yeah. So we've hired we've hired a person from all 50 states. 
we get the number changes a little bit, but it's actually going up. We just a few days ago, we were getting 26 applications a day. That number, as you get into winter time, it goes up to closer to 50 applications a day, just due to people being displaced due to seasonality type stuff. But I mean, to think about getting 20 people apply to your company a day, the, the real issue in our industry is people, right? Like most of the people we service, they can't get anyone to apply to their company. We have, we have 2,000 people backlogged that if we said you're hired tomorrow, they would be ready to work tomorrow. So 2,000 people is a lot, and I'm sure that number goes up and down as someone finds a job, whatever. But to me, how we win, get everyone's attention and get all the people. And, and, you know, that's what we're focused on. And, and obviously they got to be good people that, you know, they got to know something or have some sort of skill or talent or, you know, passion, whatever. I, I always say my biggest mistakes are people mistakes, um, without a doubt. So, uh, you know, to me, that's, that's, that's how I'm thinking about our industry over the next 20 years, the people problem becomes an even bigger problem. The average age of the minor in our industry is 52 years old. The average age of our employees is 28 years old. So we're, we're, yeah, we're setting ourselves up for the next 30 years, not, not just the next two or three years. Cause it's, there is a lot of pain. I, I don't think I've ever said this. There is a lot of pain in learning and a lot of expense that comes with building a company around 28 year old people. You just, there's just a ton, you know, they don't have the experience. You know, we had a, we had a kid, super talented 20 year old kid ripped the blade off of a dozer. You know, that's a, that's a five or $10,000 mistake. <laughs> you know, if that guy was 52 and had 30 years in the industry, he probably wouldn't have done that, you know, cause he did that 20 years ago. But I don't know, for me, we're making the investment now in our workforce and in our marketing and in our, you know, brand awareness. We, you know, we want to be positioned for this people game. Yeah. Coming out of that, what's what's one of the biggest challenges you have? I mean, you talked about some of these little mistakes. I mean, are you are you p- pissing people off in the industry with the way you guys are going about things? I mean, do you have some some enemies out there? Yeah, we're what I would say is we're pissing all the right people off. Um, <laughs> I love it, and I probably need to explain because there's some people that listen to that, and they're the ones that are pissed off, thinking, "Oh, that's that's wild." Uh, there are companies we compete against who are just legit companies, right? They, you know, uh, the Kiwit, LeadCore, like the big companies who do things right. When LeadCore or Kiwit or someone like that sees us on a bid list, I don't think they get super pissed off. I think they know that we're professional. We have the right values. We're not, we're not the scabs of the industry. They're just going to go after the lowest price. Like, you know, there are people out there that we know when we see them on a bid list or an opportunity, there's just no reason for us to go any further because they're the bottom feeders. They do things that cost, they nickel and dime the clients. It's just a terrible way to do business in my opinion, but we're pissing those people off, right? Cause you know, what we do is we try to hire good people. We try to develop our team. Uh, you know, one of our values and our mission statement is, is make life better in the mining industry. Well, if you get a if you get a contract, let's say it's for fifty million bucks, and your cost is fifty million bucks to do it, you make no money. Eventually, you got to hit the client with change orders and nickel and dime for this and that to go make some money. That's not making life better for anybody. It's making life worse. So, 
I think, I think all the right people are getting pissed off. Uh, the people that are rooting for us are the companies that have tried to make some changes in this industry for a while. Keaton, you mentioned like Elon Musk and electric cars. And I mean, from a mining perspective, I think you said everything but the leather seats. Um, I mean, do you see that industry and what's needed for the batteries as an expansion opportunity for you guys globally? Or, or how does that play into your business strategy? Yeah. So there's a saying, uh, if it's not farmed, it's mined. And, you know, as you see the world population continue to grow, common sense would tell you, you're going to have to mine more natural materials, whether it be, you know, stuff for coal that's not, it's, you know, coal's not happening much here in the States anymore due to a lot of reasons. But, you know, lithium, I mean, there, there are, you, you could, there's a list of minerals and materials and metals that our government puts out every year. And you can see that list and how much we import from other countries, right? We have a lot of those right here. We, we could be self-sufficient, you know, and, and people feel a lot of different ways about it. I'm not going to get into all the politics, environmentalists and all that, but common sense would tell you as the population grows, the mining industry grows. You know, you just I mean the farming industry, like the more people, the more food, you know, the more people, the more roads, the more cars, the more whatever buildings. Uh, so, yeah, there's a I think it's one of those industries where on a global scale, it's never going to slow down. And, you know, we, we get asked all the time to come to different countries, uh, Canada, Mexico, uh, South America we're going to figure out our business here in the States first, you know, three and a half years in, I'm not, I'm not super ambitious to go to like Africa. Um, but yeah, I mean, the goal someday is to make an impact beyond just the U S soil here. Keaton being down here in, in Texas and, and the, the whole mining of, of sand for the fracking industry, you know, started up more Wisconsin and other areas too, but, for a variety of reasons, um, mostly transportation, uh, the end basin sand got a lot more affordable down here. And uh, in, in my backyard outside of Fort Worth and then certainly out in, in West Texas, sand mines have popped up everywhere. Uh, and, you know, so much sand was produced, then there was a pricing issue and a margin issue. Do you guys have any exposure there? And if, if so, or if not, just what are your thoughts on the mining industry is, is it results to, to sand? Well, thank God we, we didn't have any frac sand contracts. Um, we were fortunate enough to lose, I mean, we quoted a ton of frac sand stuff over the last two or three years. We lost all of it because the pricing was just so cheap. Uh, and we had safeguarded a little, I don't want to, I don't want to act like we're geniuses and predicted a crash, you know, but anytime you get into a commodity that ebbs and flows, you know, gold, right? Like, okay, we can go heavily invest in gold right now. Well, what happens in 12, 24, 36 months? Does it come way back down? You know, so like I said, we've got a lot of smart people around here that are thinking about risk and thinking about markets and those sorts of things. So we weren't in frack at all. I think we did one frack sand project. And on, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm remembering now, we have one frack sand project they owe us a million dollars and they're probably going to file bankruptcy and we're going to maybe kiss most of that million dollars goodbye, but that could have been $50 million, right? Like that could have been a whole lot. And there's companies that we compete with 
that I know are in a bad way due to their heavily investment in frac sand. But I think if you're doing business for the right companies, it's one of the reasons why we love building materials, aggregates, cements, um, industrial sand, stuff not used for fracking. We're always going to be building roads. We're always going to be building bridges. You know, uh, the housing market and commercial construction market comes up and down. But, you know, you look at those materials versus some real volatile stuff like oil and gas or gold, uh, copper. Copper's taken a beating this year, iron ore. You just got to know the game you're playing and you got to know your risk going into it. You know, you shared a lot about Turner Mining. Thank you for that. And you shared a lot about kind of some of the trials and tribulations you've gone through. When it comes down to Keaton as the person, how do you continuously work on yourself, both, you know, whether it's personally or professionally to get better? Uh, well, I think the real answer is I don't always continuously work on myself. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and, and tell you I get up at five in the morning every morning and read, you know, business journals and stuff. You know, <laughs> there, there, there are times where, sure, that's the case, right? Like, I, I, you, you know, I, I'm just like any other human. I get motivated in chunks. I may have a three-month chunk where I'm super motivated and I'm on fire to go do X, Y, or Z. Uh, I had a chunk right in the middle of COVID where I didn't want to do anything. Um, mentally out of it, fogged up, like no desire to work out or no desire to improve anything. And so, you know, it, I think it comes and goes. But I think I, I listened to a guy, Andy Priscilla is someone, he's on Instagram. He, you know, he runs a big supplement company. Uh, he's someone that's super motivating. And he said the other day, you're either getting better and you're growing as a human, or you're getting worse and you're dying. You know, it's one of the reasons why as Americans, you look at most, most Americans at 55, 60 years old, they're way overweight and unhealthy. Whereas 20 years old, they were healthy, right? So slowly they've died and slowly they've gotten worse as they've gotten older. And that really just, that hit me right in the mouth because I'm like, man, the last few months, you know, I've, I've not been getting better. So I've, I've been getting worse. Stuff like that, if you can feed your mind with the right thing, which I don't always do, uh, but if you can feed your mind with people that are improving and people that want to get better and, and want to take big swings, everything we do here as a business, we are, we are swinging for the fences. Like, like we, we are just not big fans of bunning one out there just to, you know, get on base. We, we'd rather swing for the fences and strike out and try again. You know, how, how um, many so, times did Reggie Jackson strike out? A lot. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, more than anybody and look how many home runs he hit. too. <laughs> well, it's just getting uncomfortable every day. You know, Michael, we talk about that all the time and, you know, find a way to get yourself uncomfortable, get out of that comfort zone. Key. One of the things we like to ask is, you know, you have, your, your passions in life. And when we ask people, you know, we used to ask and they'd say, number one, well, my, of course, my family and my friends and number two, maybe is work. So talk about three and four. And what are some of those other things that you keep front and center in your life that keep you, keep you, uh, you know, you mentioned fishing and hunting and I don't know. I mean, what are they? Where, where do you get some of that passion from? It's a, it's a great question. Mine change all the time, right? I, I, in the spring, I can't wait to go fishing. By middle of the summer, I've fished plenty. I'm tired of fishing. I don't want to fish anymore. You know, um, you know, I'm one of those guys that I'll buy four or five guns and do the gun thing for a while. And I'm like, man, I'm over guns. Like, I want to get into whatever the thing is. You know, buy a motorcycle or whatever. So I, I am. Uh, 
sporadic, diabolical person, right? Whatever my mind is into, and sometimes it's into the business. Sometimes I want to focus on the business. I'm going to work 120 hours. I'm going to pour into people. Sometimes it goes to something completely away from the business. And I actually might take away from what I'm doing at, at, at the business. So like I said, I love hunting. I love fishing. I love guns. I love dirt bikes. Um, I love building people. Uh, but I get tired of all of it at some point. So I just, I just try to keep it fresh. I, you know, mix oh, it up. A good stable of different things that keep you interested in those. That that's great. I, I've, I, I have love way you, too many hobbies. Way too I many love, hobbies. I love how you mentioned that too. Cause like I was up in Northern Michigan, muskie fishing the other day and we've been fishing, you know, all summer and we, kind of, we pulled the boat in and I'm like, I'm done. I've had enough. You know, like we've been doing this. It's time to move on to something different. And yeah. I think my fiance is very happy that that time has come for me. But oh, hunting, I'm sure. <laughs> but hunting season's around the corner. So that, yeah. you know, the eyes have shifted elsewhere. Yeah. They don't realize it, you, you spend more time in the woods hunting than you do on the boat fishing. Like right. that's not a great <laughs> trade off for them. But, uh, and, and it's like you have, uh, I'm like, I'm a very outgoing person, social, want to be out, want to be talking to people. And she goes, how do you sit and hunt and no one's around? I'm like, because that's my time. It's fantastic. It's some of the best time I have. <laughs> no, you know, that. I mean, the reason that there's seasons is a lot more for like the population control of the particular animal or waterfowl or whatever that we're talking about. Um, but I also think it's for us. I mean, if I could hunt year round, it wouldn't be as special is when it comes back around again. It just feels like that that changing of the tides, the you know, the leaves are changing and you get all fired up about it again. And one thing I wanted to ask, just because I think your mind's a lot like Bob and I's, where it just it it's it's the reason that we can handle a whole lot of things going on at once is you can bounce from meeting to meeting to strategy to this proposal, this proposal, we're going after this. But I think another reason that, that Bob and I are effective what we do, I want to get your insight on this, is the ability when you have to, to slow that down and just narrowly focus everything on this one thing and like everything else slows down. Do you have that that process when you really got to zero in on something? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, my phone's a great example. You know, it's just a million notifications and I don't, my phone doesn't ring. It doesn't vibrate, doesn't do anything. I leave it off all the time. Um, when I'm in a meeting, I, my mind is very easily distracted, right? I, I probably have ADD or something. I don't know. But when I'm in a meeting that I'm passionate about, whether it's a proposal or meeting with a person that we're trying to improve or coach or mentor or whatever, like, I want to be super conscious of focusing on that thing 100%. Uh, I do really well at that sometimes. The things that I'm less passionate about, I'll notice myself in a meeting on my phone scrolling through emails. Like if it's something I'm just like, ah, this, this is not, this doesn't like light me on fire. I'm not going to add a ton of value in this conversation. There's, I mean, just the other day, there was an important meeting happening here and we had some visitors in the office and 15 minutes into the hour long meeting, I realized I'm not going to add any value here. My time is better spent somewhere. I just got up and walked out and I apologize <laughs> later. And I'm like, Hey guys, don't take it the wrong way. I'm not being rude. I just, I'm not going to add value to that. So yeah, I'm my time. I've had to learn how to manage it way differently than I did three years ago. Uh, especially with kids, 
I'm hoping my wife doesn't divorce me. So I got to pay attention to that. Like there's a, there, you know, you got to be very conscious about time and it's something I always, you know, underestimated. And so now I live and die by my calendar. Uh, I have appointments for everything. I say no to almost everything. Um, social stuff, good things are okay to say no to. And it took me several years to learn how to do that. Um, but yeah, I just, I want to be intentional when I'm sitting somewhere or talking to someone or having a meeting like this, there's a million things going on around here. Like I said, there's a massive proposal going out in just a few hours. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm with, I'm with you guys. So that's, I, I try to do that. I'm not always great at it though. Well, we appreciate you saying yes to us because we've no enjoyed, definitely enjoyed the conversation. Yeah, I, I have too. I love it. Keaton, you know, just in thinking about coming on this show, is there, is there anything that, you had wanted to hit on that we haven't? No, I don't think so. I mean, my message is pretty similar across all these that I do, right? Life is short. Go have fun and be happy. Like, don't don't put your focus on the wrong thing, which is so easy to do, you know, especially with Instagram. You know, you everybody wants the new truck or the new car or the new house or whatever. Like, you know, I, there's so much good in the world I think that's the one thing I would touch on. Like everyone, especially in the election year, everyone is so divided. Like, man, there is a lot of good going on. Amidst all the riots, amidst this COVID thing, there is a ton of good. There's a ton of opportunity. People just need to think about that. That was great. That was awesome. So you, you kind of, you've teed up my question and, you, and you've answered part of it, but I want to direct it more just towards towards Keaton. And you you can you know, you can use it to to talk about the company and the culture again as well. But this is the question that we ask. You've heard the saying growing up, it's not what you know, it's who you know. But we like to say it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So if you think about your podcast, your YouTube channel, this podcast, what do you want people to know about Keaton? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, for me, I want them to know that amidst all the chaos, I, I truly have good intentions to be a good human being. Um, I, my goal is to impact as many people in a positive way as I can. Uh, you know, we, we're about $300,000 in revenue per employee. So if you think about it, man, someday if I have 10,000 employees, that's a lot of revenue, right? That's not even a thing on my radar. I want 10,000 employees so that I can impact 10,000 families in a, in a way that maybe they wouldn't have been impacted otherwise. It's a huge goal, right? It's, it's not easy to be different in an age-old industry and still impact people in a positive way every day. Don't, don't get me wrong. We screw up a lot. Yeah. But, but man, I, I want to bring more good to the world. Just like my comment a second ago about how much good is going on out there. I want to bring more good to the world than what people are hearing or are seeing. You know, I want our content to be happy. I want our employees to be smiling, not just for the camera when it's on them, but like every day, I want you to be happy and fun and, you know, enjoying life. Um, That's that's what I want people to get out of what we're doing. Keaton, I'm going to say one thing that I don't want to hear from you anymore and is stop saying you're not that smart of a guy because today's conversation was awesome. You got an absolutely infectious personality. I mean, your passion, the gratitude, the humility, it shows. And that's 
exactly like I can just tell that's why that company is thriving that you're building. And that's why you probably got people around you that are just running through walls for you. So keep it, man. It's it's awesome. We appreciate the time. This has been a lot of fun. Could not agree more. I think uh, Bob and I are ready to get into the mining industry. Yeah. yeah. Are (laughs) you guys hiring or what? (laughs) Come visit anytime. We are hiring. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take that recording of all those nice things you said, and I'm going to play it on repeat for our people here in the office. (laughs) Don't forget it. And your wife. That that's the that's the real one right that's there. That's yeah. the important one. Absolutely. No, this is this has been great. Thank you. Yeah, um, thank you guys. It's been fun. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of The Climb. If you enjoyed the episode, please consider subscribing. And if you know someone who you would think would enjoy the podcast, feel free to share this with them. Thanks again. And we'll see you on the next episode.